We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Hi, I'm Yui Xu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Welcome back to our favorite people as we talk about dating, modern dating, future dating, old dating, traditional dating, bad dating, good dating. We talk about all facets of dating. Never run out of topics. Never, never. And I think today we're going into a topic that I would say when we first started this podcast, we probably would never imagine that we'd be going here to asexuality. But I'm so glad that we are. It was kind of on our wish list, I think in season two or Mm -hmm. three, we put out a, a wish list to our community to see who would be interested and no takers at that point. But we're so glad that we were able to find people in the community who are willing to share their experiences on a topic that Julie and I know nothing about. After (laughs) this interview, we realize we know even less. Like we just, there's so much more to learn. And it's a great way to open up your perspective on dating. Because what if the romantic side of dating was not a default? What if you didn't Mm -hmm. date for that romantic partner? What would be your why in dating? Yeah. And sexual side is out. I feel like that's such a reason why people date and talk about that. You know, it's like a friend, but we're sexually attracted to each other. But in the world of asexual dating, that doesn't need to be there. So I love thinking about like, what is it to the core of dating and being in a relationship when you strip out all of that? And this episode is really for everyone because it expands that definition. We're not saying that you need to, you know, stop wanting sexual connection, but it's a good way to at least think about things differently. As with everything we do on this podcast, it's about being more expansive mindset Mm -hmm. and and not putting yourself in a box. Because I think for so many years of dating, I felt very restricted by my own way Mm. of thinking. You only know what you know. That's the problem. Yeah. And when you have the mindset that you know everything already, then you don't open up 
yourself to what could be. Yeah. And I'm glad. I actually am thinking back to when we did the Facebook Live for Pride. Remember that? It was, Mm -hmm. I think, two years ago we did this. And we had one of our moderators at the time, Ryan Jeffrey, who is absolutely wonderful. So shout out if you're listening. And we had him lead this live for Pride. And I remember him coming back and saying, we need to include someone that's asexual. Yeah. And, you know, being a little ignorant, thinking like, like, oh, I wouldn't have made that connection. But I'm so glad that we had we had a, a community member, Victoria, at the time come in and talk about her experience and how she sits on the rainbow and she's part of the LGBTQ plus community and shared her own experience. And for me, that was the first time I really heard, you know, someone share their own story and it was completely eye opening. And from that point, too, I was like, we need to get this topic in more depth because clearly with a Facebook Live, we only have like 10 minutes or so. So yeah, I'm really glad that we did this. We have a wonderful guest back, David J, who we had, yeah. you probably remember, season 14, episode 17, A New Definition of Family, where we had him with his co-parents, Avery and Zeke. That episode got such a good response because again, it's all about like, how do you do things the way it works for you? And I think asexuality falls into that, having a family that's not the traditional way. And especially from David's perspective, he talked about like how being asexual doesn't lend yourself to the traditional paths and routes to having a family. So you kind of have to seek out those other methods. So if you haven't listened to that episode, strongly recommend going back to the back catalog, but we were really excited to get David back. And we were excited that he wanted to bring a friend along (laughs) for this episode as well. We we love bring your friend to podcast day. (laughs) One of our favorite events. (laughs) We'll save all the meaty stuff for this episode. But I've been dying to hear, Julie, your two-year anniversary. What are you planning? Yeah, two years. We celebrated our two-year anniversary earlier this week. You know, got flowers, did a chicken parm. That's kind of like our go-to recipe. Yeah, I know. You love oh my chicken God, This parm. recipe mm-hmm. is so freaking good, too. Like The website's called Serious Eats, and there's a cookbook called Food Lab. And the guy that founded it, he basically like tests like hundreds of ways to cook something mm. to come up with the best way. So it's very scientific. And I'm telling you, the, the food from this cookbook and website is amazing. Like everything I've had is restaurant quality. The chicken parm is the best chicken parm. I think it's better than ones I've had at restaurants. It is a little time intensive, though. So it's definitely reserved for more special occasions. But we did this on Valentine's Day, too, that, you know, we did the at home dinner during the week because you know, during the week can get crazy. Then we did like the going out dinner. So this weekend, we're going to Lazy Bear. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, really excited. Actually, we were with you in South by Southwest, you had to get reservations a month in advance. Mm -hmm. My partner, I'll give him credit. He's very organized. He had it on his calendar. (laughs) He got it the second it was released. So have you been before to Lazy Bear? I have with my ex. So I have really fond memories. But <laughs> it's such a interesting experience. It's communal. The food was spectacular, although I don't remember any of the dishes. It's like how I am with every restaurant I go to. But it's really about the experience. Like we had a you come in for a welcome drink in one room. 
And then they take mm. you to the dining room and there's like a whole presentation. It's definitely a, I was an interactive dinner experience. Okay, I'm very excited. It's definitely been on my bucket list of foodie experiences. For anyone that knows me, my partner and I both enjoy like a good dinner out. Like that's, he's actually up my level a little more. I feel like I wasn't as fancy before I met him. I was like, okay, with good restaurants, but he like goes up a level. He likes like the tasting menu you fine dining type of thing. Clearest isn't like an every weekend situation. It's for special occasions, but this is what we tend to do instead of a gift. I think for both of us, like gifts yeah. aren't as important. So we're like, we might as well treat each other to this meal because that's what does it for us. That's something that was surprising for me to find out during South By because it was really the first focused time that I had with you and your partner together. And I was very surprised to find out that he's been the one kind of <laughs> wanting to do yeah. these like tasting menus and Michelin star restaurants yeah. and doing that on the reg. So I would say if you're ever in SF and you want good restaurant recommendations, oh hit my up gosh. Julie. She will no, give don't you say that. Do you know how many people hit me up already? She needs to start a, a blog because I, I was need to start legit a blog, yes. looking for a restaurant. When I say a restaurant, one restaurant, just one for my partner's birthday. And she sent me like 30 and all of them looked so good. And most of them I had never heard of. You know, these are like tried and true you talk about the guy with the website where he tries the recipes. You're the couple yeah. that tries restaurants. And Julie will be very honest with you if she thinks a restaurant's worth it or not. So I'm very thankful to have her as my own <laughs> Michelin guide. You're not the only one that hits me up. I think I need to save that text that I sent you and just send that to other people. But I do. do. I, I try to tailor it to who sends it to me a little. <laughs> that sounds like a business. You should charge for that. <laughs> the free service is you get the generic list. I love it. <laughs> but what else we're doing that I think is going to be fun is we're kind of recreating our first couple oh, dates. Oh, I love that. So we're going tonight to the Snug. It was our first yes, date. It was I a remember. bar on Fillmore Street. We're going to go there tonight, have a drink, maybe get some food there or go somewhere else for food. And then tomorrow, we're going to go to Lafayette Park where we had our third date, oh. which was actually the date that kind of sealed me a little on yeah. him. Was This was the one that we did a picnic. Of course, you need to remember my relationship started in the height of COVID. Right. But by the point that you could actually go to a like bars and restaurants. So it wasn't like the thick of COVID, but a little later on, but still in COVID. We're all masked up, all still not wanting to be all over each other. <laughs> and he planned a picnic at the park. And I think for me, the reason why it stood out is that I had been on so many other dates in that same park mm -hmm. and the guys just kind of rolled up and they're like hey i'm here mm. and i'm like do i have to bring wine do i have to bring a blanket and he came just fully packed he texted mm. me the night before and was like here's where i'm gonna pick up sandwiches like which what do you want i'll get it on the way he had like the full setup with him like this mm -hmm. very organized backpack that had everything you could need for a picnic and i was just like this is nice you know this is refreshing compared to these people that just gave it kind of the half-assed attempt. And I think that's what really separates a date because 
we went to the same place. Like there wasn't anything that different about it, but it felt much more like a date to me than just two people rolling up to meet each other. It's all about the effort. And that effort shows when you you put in effort into something, the other person can feel that and really appreciate that. But I also think it's funny that Dating in your 20s, you know, what you find sexy? Spontaneous <laughs> dates. Oh, my gosh. Oh we my like, God, yes. you know, just hopped on the subway and we went whenever <laughs> we want. But dating in your 30s, what's sexy? When someone Ugh. shows up completely prepared and sends you a confirmation text the night before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's funny to think about that. <laughs> you know that backpack, too, the one that you like that has all like the, oh, the picnic one cups in it. Yeah. yeah. Like the whole like organized picnic bag. I feel like there's nothing sexier than an organized. <laughs> you're like oh my gosh is that the picnic backpack you have <laughs> i do appreciate that even two years in about my partner is that he's still the person that will like always make sure we have blankets or we mm. always have x y and z like i think that's really important and yeah it's so crazy being two years in i feel like i haven't been two years in in this way ever in my life mm -hmm. like i've had a relationship that was longer quote unquote but i had many breaks many on again off again pieces this has been like a consistent like we are now in this milestone together and it feels really nice that's why we always say the longevity of a relationship does not determine the success oh of your God, relationship no. two years for you now means so much more than two years with the on and off relationship yeah, it's, it's so different not even the same no and it's crazy because looking back on it like I mean, you knew. I just thought the other person was my person. Mm -hmm. like, I knew. I thought that, and I thought like this is the epitome of love. Like that's really what I thought. And it's because I didn't have something that felt better. You know, like mm -hmm. I didn't know. It's again goes back to you only know what you know. Like I'm not trying to undermine that because it was good at the time, but in comparison now, it feels. Like nothing. It actually really warmed my heart because we have a future guest coming up that's probably listening that we talked to and he's kind of in the thick of going through that breakup. Mm. And we caught up with him and he was like, it actually makes me feel like good to hear when you talk about like that person you thought was the person and how yeah. much better it is now. And I'm like, you will come out the other side and you like can't see it when you're in it. But Later on, when you see like how different someone treats you when they really want to be in it with you, yes, it's night and day. Yes, it's like driving through a very cloudy area. You know, you mm -hmm. just like, is am I ever going to see clarity? Am I ever going to see the sun? Am I ever going to see the sky? And the answer is yes, but it's hard when you're driving through it because it's hard. You can't see on the other side of things, which reminds me of the most recent review we got on Apple Podcasts. This is oh, so yes, beautiful. this warmed my heart also. <laughs> and this person says, I was at a point in my life feeling hopeless about my dating love life. And since I'm not a big reader, I went the podcast route and stumbled across Datable. It really opened my eyes and perspective to modern dating, really saw some common mistakes I was making and a allowed me to go into dating with an open mind. I'm now in a committed relationship that I don't think would have been possible had I not listened oh. along to these two fierce women with their guests. I recommend this podcast to all my friends, not just the single ones. It's not just for singles. It really does continue helping those in relationships. All I can say is thank you. Ah, oh my God. Yes, that makes me so happy. So shout out for anyone that is also in the same boat that wants to leave us 
a review. <laughs> Even if you're still in the thick of dating, tell us how Dateable has opened your mind or changed yes. your perspective. Even if it's something that feels really small to you, you could help someone else that's reading it or will read it on air and help someone. So please do that. It helps us so, so much. Five stars. Or if you're on Spotify, you don't need to leave a review because they don't let you. <laughs> Just leave us five stars. It really helps us in a way, one, it helps us legitimize our podcast even more, mm -hmm. but also just for us to, because sometimes we don't know who we're talking to. We don't know if this yeah. is getting through to anybody. How is this impacting you? So when you leave us a review and tell us how this podcast has influenced the way you think about dating, it's so rewarding for us. Mm -hmm. Then we know we're talking to real people here. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm so glad this person left the review, but I almost wish they told us like a little more or we could contact them some way. We can't, we don't know who they are, <laughs> but I'm just curious like what it was that you were falling for so we can do more content that way. Because ultimately our goal, our mission is to help you. That is what we want because we've been there ourselves. We know how painful it is and how in the thick of it you can feel and just all the emotions that come up when you're dating. So we want to help as many people as possible. And understanding what resonates for you is a way that we can tailor our content also. Right. And while we do that on Dateable, we also have another podcast called The yes. Exit Interview, which does exactly that. We put 10 daters through the ultimate dating experiment of contacting their exes, former flames, former crushes, the one that got away <laughs> to figure out what went wrong and we are in mid-season. We just did a check-in episode last week. And people who've listened to this series have found it extremely helpful and profound because it opens up your periphery to, oh my gosh, like this was all a miscommunication. This is, yeah, we were not speaking the same language before. And that's probably what's causing all of this heartache or challenges along the way. But it makes you want to double down on dating because you realize if I just mm -hmm. communicate more clearly and if I can be on this track of finding my person and not get you know, distracted along the way, then love is absolutely possible. Absolutely. Again, if you could leave a review there, that also <laughs> helps so much, especially because it's new. But we've been getting like an, a ton of emails and DMs of just how this is helping people's own dating life, hearing through our brave souls that did this experiment. You have really paid it forward. You have no idea to all the people that are directly benefiting now from you partaking in this experiment. <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> Uh, uh, my friend just sent in this message. He's a he's a doctor, and he said in surgery we have something called M and M. It's okay if a patient doesn't do well, they get presented to the group, and they all discuss what went well and what didn't go well oh. in the surgery with the surgeon. Oh. It's very painful for the surgeon, but it's great to oh learn from, God. and everyone else learns from it as well. And he says that's exactly what the exit interview is, but for dating. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Well, glad to do our own M and M's here. Yes, yes. So if you're looking for stuff to do this week, this week. We got you. We got tons of podcasts for you <laughs> coming your way. 
<laughs> okay, well, before we get into it, other announcements at Dateable Podcast, at Julie Craftchick. I have still need to update my Instagram a bit, my new account. I have been a little through the rigor the last couple weeks with an injury and a sickness, but I am now recommitted She's to focusing apart, on this. She's falling apart, folks. I have apart. been falling apart. I'm finally coming together. And then at nonplatonic is UA, who has much more of an active Instagram. Well, not these days, but yes, I try. I try my best. <laughs> well, more than mine. <laughs> you can also contact us uh, by email. Our email is hello at datable podcast.com. Awesome. Okay, well, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. I recently learned that I can get triggered because I jump to conclusions, but I could avoid that if I could just pause and seek understanding of what is being said to me. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Therapy has helped me unlearn from my past and forge a new path that benefits me better. My therapist makes me feel like I have a cheerleader who is always rooting for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Datable today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. Okay, let's hear it about what it's like to be asexual. The topic for this episode is asexuality, but we really want to get more into that. It's beyond asexuality. It's about the different ways of exploring who you are and the lifestyle that you want to live, right? So we got David. Who is he? He's 40 years old, lives in Oakland, been there for two years, originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Pretty single, hooking up, having fun, also in an open relationship. And he is co-parenting <laughs> with two other people. We've also had all three of them on our show on season 14, episode 17, called A New 
new definition of family, all about co-parenting as part of a three-parent family. He's the creator of the Asexual Visibility and Education Network and has been a prominent asexual activist since the early 2000s. That's so lovely. And Yasmin, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's a must. We had so much fun, but also just learned so much as well. And Yasmin, who is she? She's 26 years old, lives in England, and she is aromantic. She does not date, and we'll get more into what that means as well. She's an award-winning British model, asexual activist, writer, and speaker, described as the unlikely face of asexuality by Cosmopolitan magazine. She quickly became a leading voice for the community after publicly coming out in 2017. She started the hashtag this is what asexual looks like movement for diverse asexual visibility and representation and co-founded International Asexuality Day, which is April 6th. I feel very non-accomplished next to both of you. So thanks for being here. <laughs> we are so excited to dive into this topic today because like we mentioned, David, on your first episode, we briefly touched on asexuality, but the bulk of it was more about parenting in a three-person household. And we want to go into it today. So we pulled up two definitions of asexuality, and we want to get both of your takes on them. So according to Wikipedia, the definition of asexual. Asexuality is the lack of sexual attraction to others or lower absent interest in or desire for sexual activity. It may be considered a sexual orientation or lack thereof. It may also be categorized more widely to include a broad spectrum of sexual sub-identities. And then dictionary.com had a slightly different definition. A person who is asexual experiences no sexual attraction to others. Asexual people still experience romantic attraction and may participate in sexual activity. Asexuality is not the same thing as celibacy or abstinence. I guess, David, what is your take on these definitions? Do you think they're accurate? Do you think they're missing subparts? They're accurate enough. Having been around in the early days of the ace community, ace is a kind of a slang term that's that's also an umbrella mm -hmm. term for asexual people, demisexual people, a lot of people on the asexual spectrum. And in the early days, there was kind of this sense that like, we all had different experiences that intersected. Many of us didn't experience any sexual attraction. Some experienced like a tiny bit, but so little it didn't impact our lives. Some people experienced sexual attraction only in the context of a really deep, intimate relationship. Some people experienced a low level. And there was kind of this flag that was planted. Initially, it was an asexual person does not experience sexual attraction. And it wasn't that we all, you know, were exactly at that point. It's that that was a helpful flag for this community to kind of gather around and just like build a camp and get to know one another and get to know what our shared experiences were. Because of that, there's been an explosion of different language and different terms to describe all the different experiences that people can have on this spectrum. And there's this sense that like the words themselves aren't necessarily the point. The word asexual is a tool and not a label. If it feels like it makes sense to you, if it helps you understand yourself, pick it up and use it. If it doesn't feel helpful, if it stops feeling helpful, like put it down and pick up another word. The point is for us to know one another not to fit in rigid definitions. So that's the context I'd give to that definition. <laughs> not to fit in definitions, but that's the definition. And <laughs> for you, Yasmin, you define yourself as aromantic, which now after hearing what David's saying, the overall umbrella is ace, and then there's the subcategories underneath, and aro is one of them. Can you kind of explain what aromantic is? Aromantic isn't a subcategory of asexual. It's a separate community. It's a romantic orientation. There is an overlap. 
In the sense that there are a fair number of asexual people who are aromantic, and a lot of the language that the aromantic community uses was kind of derived from language that the asexual community was using, but there are lots of aromantic people that aren't asexual, so they are separate. I just happen to be asexual and aromantic, and my take on those two definitions is that I think that the Wikipedia one, I feel like an ace person wrote that. That did feel pretty accurate. <laughs> the dictionary one was fine, aside from the part that asexual people still experience, you know, romantic attraction. Right. Some of them don't. Some of them might be romantic as well. I think that was the dictionary definition in America. Mm. The dictionary definition here is like really wrong. So I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised by your one. <laughs> What is the one in the UK? The UK one is has no sexual feelings or associations. Mm. However you interpret whatever that means. Associations. Okay. Doesn't associate with anything sexual, doesn't feel anything sexual, is what comes up over here, which is not accurate. I mean, I'm so glad we're doing this conversation because it just shows you that you could Google something and you don't really get the full picture whatsoever. So I know you two are only two people and this represents your personal stories and not all people in the ACE community either, but it's really helpful to talk to you two directly. And I think we'd love to just learn more about your personal stories. Maybe starting with David, just how did you even get to this point that you discovered that you identified as asexual? So I remember being in middle school, being like 13 or 14, and everyone around me was talking about sexuality. There was this assumption that everyone was going to experience sexual attraction, everyone was going to be drawn to sexuality. That was a part of becoming adult. That was sort of this intrinsic part of becoming human. And I remember just not feeling that and being really, really scared that there was something wrong with mm -hmm. me, that I was broken, that I was going to be alone forever. And I was fortunate to go to a high school that had just like a really active queer community that helped me to understand that being different did not mean that I was broken. It did not mean that intimacy wasn't going to be emotional connection, which I knew I wanted, wasn't going to be available to me. And so I began to use the word asexual to describe myself. I began to Ooh. reach out to try to find other people who use this word and who could sort of share their experiences. And that reaching out is what led to asexuality.org. On a personal level, I think I, I went on this journey of exploring what intimacy and what committed intimacy could look like outside of a sexual script. Like you you, Yasmin, I'm aromantic. So I was never really drawn to dating. I was never that drawn to sexuality. But like I had a very strong desire to be in close, emotionally intimate relationships with people and a strong mm. desire to be committed with people, a strong desire to become a parent. And so how do I do that outside of the way that we're told to do that through sexuality and romance? And I was able to find some ways to do that that worked really well for me and the other people in my life. And like you said, it is a journey. And we're along with the journey with you. And with you, Yasmin, you talked about you being aromantic. You don't date. How did you discover that you don't date? Did you actually go on dates to discover you don't want to do that? No, I discovered based on the fact that I didn't want to go on dates to discover that. Mm. That was kind of the hint. I mean, I realized, <laughs> I don't know whether it was aromanticism that I was noticing first or asexuality. For me, they kind of blended into one. I didn't really notice the distinction until I was older and met other asexual people and realized that lots of them aren't inherently aromantic. I kind of assumed that everyone would be. I mean, I was like in primary school, so, uh -huh. so I was like 10, 11, when I first noticed something was up only because other kids were suddenly, they didn't want to play together. They wanted to date each other and they fancied <laughs> each other and they wanted to go out with each other. And I was like, I don't know what we're doing here, <laughs> but I assumed it would kick in. It wasn't something I was interested in encouraging though. I didn't feel like I was about that life, even at that age. Then as I got older, that stayed very much the same and other people continued to change and then wonder what was wrong with me and why I wasn't acting the same way as they 
were and they asked me so many questions I had to do an unnecessary amount of a self-analysis for a 14 year old and that was kind of how I ended up discovering what asexuality meant online went on asexuality.org dipped into YouTube dipped into Tumblr did all that stuff and was like okay cool I've found the word so I was about 15 at that point and it's interesting that Cosmopolitan said that you were an unlikely face of asexuality why do you think this is the case is it just that you're a model and like society's perception that beauty and sexuality go hand in hand or was there something else I feel like it's a combination of things. I mean, I'm sure David J can vouch for there's a bit of a preference in the way asexuality is represented and also a kind of idea that people have that comes to mind when they think of it. And apparently I'm not that thing. (laughs) I learned it wasn't like a point I was trying to make when I first started doing stuff. I didn't think anyone would really care that much about my appearance or anything like that. But it kind of became like a contentious point. And throughout my entire life, I've had people telling me that I don't look asexual and that wasn't necessarily because I was pretty because I was a model it was mainly because I'm black if I'm being honest Mm. that was the main uh, Mm. that was the main thing that stumped people because I wasn't a cute teenager when people were saying that so it had nothing to do with any other aspect of my appearance so yeah I feel like that's kind of just where that idea comes from but I'm fine to be an unlikely (laughs) example (laughs) because there are actually a lot of people that look like me it's just not seen as being the thing but hopefully kind of working towards changing that a little bit That's something that we tend to struggle with on this podcast. We've been talking about this for seven years now, is that there's a perception of how society wants you to be. And then there's your own perception of who you are. And sometimes those two perceptions collide and you kind of have to reconcile the two. So, David, I'm curious to hear from you because in this society that we're talking about, men are supposed to be hypersexual, very aggressive. They're supposed to be (laughs) wanting sex all day, every day. And you are not that at all. How were you able to, one, even digest that stereotype that's floating around so prevalently, and two, really come to your own? Yasmin, thank you for sharing, I think, just the importance of centering Black Ace experience is one that's very real in our community now. And I've had, I think, a a complicated but rich relationship with masculinity throughout my life. I was really fortunate, as I said, throughout high school, throughout college, and being surrounded by a lot of really wise and powerful queer people my age, elders. And I think they helped me understand that there wasn't one way to be masculine, that there wasn't one way to be intimate with people, that there were a lot of ways, and that my journey was to figure out what was the way that fit me, not to compare myself relative to some ideal model that was out there. At first, I was really struggling with the desire I didn't have with the ways in which if I wanted to have a relationship, if I wanted to have like emotionally close relationships, sexual desire was supposed to be part of the path of how I got there. And I had this feeling that like, if I'm not bringing sexual desire to the table, who would ever want to be close Mm. to me? I learned to focus instead on the desire that I did have, on the connections that I did form. Because functionally, I was forming relationships where I learned to spend time with people, and that time was really good. It was really good for both of us. It was really powerful for both of us, even if it didn't look like a traditional sexual romantic script. And so I got better at naming when I had a relationship that was building in my life that where we were were showing up in one of those lives in a way that really mattered, I got better at naming that that was the case. 
and seeing if they wanted to name it too, and seeing if they wanted to take that seriously, even if it wasn't a quote-unquote serious relationship. When I had desire that wasn't about sexuality, I got better at naming that desire and seeing if people shared that desire, even if that was a desire for emotional support, or that was a desire for intimate connection, or that was a desire for physical touch that wasn't about sexuality. And I learned how to script break and script write. Mm -hmm. How to say, all right, there's this expectation of what our relationship is supposed to be, and that expectation isn't going to work for me. Maybe it wouldn't work for you. So let's put it aside. Let's figure out what this relationship wants to be. What's the way of showing up in others' lives that makes the most sense, and how do we identify that and build on it? That was sort of the path that I took. That's so great to hear because I think so many people are struggling with this right now. It's this idea of who am I supposed to be? And you're saying, well, I just followed what my desires are. What do I want? And that got you to a good place of where you want to be. I followed my desires. And I think I also followed my relationships. Mm -hmm. I said, where are relationships forming? Where am I really resonating with people? And how can that tell me who I am and how to show up in a way that is connective? Well, I think it's like we think that relationships need to have this sexual component. And for some of us, that is a component, but there is also many other components that exist. So it sounds like what you're doing is looking at like relationships more holistically and like what are the areas that are important to me and focusing on that. What has it been living in the society that puts so much emphasis on sex and sexual attraction, like not feeling that? I think people expect it to be more of like a psychological challenge than it is, I guess. I'm quite lucky that I'm the kind of person that really marches to the beat of my own drum and I've never really tried to conform to certain things. Like from the time I realized or started to suspect that I was asexual and romantic, like the reason I have zero dating experience despite that is because I was very much like, I'm not interested in doing that, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I don't care if people expect me to do it, I'm still not going to do it if I'm not interested in it. And I've always just kind of been pretty good at avoiding it. And I guess in some ways I've kind of capitalized on it if people weren't experiencing sexual attraction and you couldn't use that to sell products and I'd have less money in the bank. So I can't entirely complain about people <laughs> being so easily uh, sucked into that whole thing. It hasn't been too bad as long as you can just kind of have a good sense of yourself and what you want to do and not feel pressured to kind of meet any standards. Then I think you can live quite freely despite all of that. It's a journey. Like, it's been a journey for me. It's been a journey for most ace people I know because we grow up in this world of compulsory sexuality. I know I grew up, and I know many ace people grow up, but yes, I don't want to speak for you, with this message that unless I'm being sexual, I'm broken in some way. Unless I'm acting on sexual attraction, I'm destined to be whatever kind of relationships I want to form, I want to have access to, I'm destined to be alone. And I think that that fear exists, like that fear of being broken, that fear of being alone does not just exist for ace people. I think it's something that what we call allosexual people struggle with a lot too. And I live in this place that the world tells me is terrifying. One of the challenges and joys of being in the ace community is that we get to be in this place that the world says is terrifying, the way like you're going to be broken and alone forever and prove that that's not the case. Mm. And prove that we can connect, that we can live these beautiful, rich lives that have desire in them, that have connection in them, that have solitude when we want solitude in them that are defined in whatever terms we want, that is both really, really liberating and empowering and really, really scary at the beginning. There's a big need for a supportive community to help ace people along that journey. Thank you for sharing that, because I think there is a common misconception that ace people are alone yeah. and they choose to be alone. And we've seen from you, David, you desire relationships, you desire that intimacy. Curious from you, Yasmin, do you also have relationships 
Yeah, I mean, I have friends, I have family, I have co-workers, I have a lot of people on the internet that talk to me all the time. <laughs> I don't always get to talk to all of them back, but I can't, it feels like it feels like socializing regardless. So yeah, I have so many relationships. Some are parasocial, some are very personal and intimate, and I have more than enough connections, sometimes too many, I think. So I've never really felt like I'm missing anything in that sense. I think it's quite funny because I feel like if it wasn't for me being asexual, like I get the question quite often, like, do you have relationships? And I feel like that's the only, I only get that question for that reason because people... Yeah relationship has almost become very synonymous with a mm -hmm. romantic relationship like are you in a relationship means are you dating someone but we're in hundreds of relationships so I've always found it quite funny that that is kind of seen as being like the pinnacle of the type of relationship that you're in I just place all of that same energy into all the different types of relationships you can have I feel like I have a relationship with a cat in the window down my street because every day <laughs> we're building up a rapport every time I walk past just trying to get it to like me so you know there's so many different bonds that you can have outside of romantic or sexual relationships and they can all be fulfilling in many different ways what a great point do you feel like you have the relationships that you want to have at this phase in my life yeah like i'm not like opposed to like a sort of queer platonic like live together kind of relationship but at the age and life stage that i'm at right now like i'm good with just having platonic and family relationships and Having like friendships that were like, that's kind of all I need and all I can juggle at the moment. But maybe in like 10 years or so, I might want like different kinds. I don't think I'll be desiring the romantic kind. But at the moment, yeah, I'm I'm very satisfied with, with what I got. And I'm just trying to maintain all of these ones. I'm trying to juggle. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I have capacity for any. I'm not taking any more friendship applications at the moment. I think I'm already <laughs> capacity for, Damn it. for the time that I have. <laughs> David, I just love that you just took over hosting. We could just <laughs> yeah. like have you as the third yeah. host here. But I'm curious, like, because I remember, David, you talking about last time how you were very intentional about your relationships. And I'm curious, like, what relationships look like to you? Is it similar to what Yasmin just described? Or do you view it slightly different? I also have a network of close friends. That's the intimacy structure that makes the most sense to me. And as I got older, I had more of a desire for long-term intimacy. Mm -hmm. More of my friends were pairing up. There was this sense that the people I was close to were kind of like disappear into heteronormative family structures yeah. and I would be left behind. So this question of how to build commitment into my relationships if that commitment didn't look like a path towards marriage, became a really important one to me. And I think intentionality became the tool that I used to do that. And I found that if I was close to someone, after being close to them for a year or more, I would invite them to go on a walk. And on the walk, we would talk about just the role we had come to play in one another's lives. Right. How are we spending time together? Why was that time really important to us? And then from that place of emotion, say, how do we want to commit to one another? What do we want to commit to keep doing that we've just have started doing by accident? <laughs> And it's those sorts of check-ins that have allowed me to feel like, oh, when my relationships change, I can talk about it. What a world that would be. And I'm only speaking from a heteronormative perspective. These questions come from a place of milestones. And I think that's what's kind of fucking up dating in the first place is that people have to hit these milestones. One of them is relationships. The other one is falling in love. It's like, oh, we fall in love. I win. I unlock this next level. <laughs> what are your thoughts about that milestone. I mean, the only way that that has come to be complicated for me is when your friends become attracted to you, which has happened to me mm. 
Mm. People say, oh, you're just friends. It's like, no, there's no just for me. Like, that's that's the <laughs> pinnacle. Like, you've reached... We're friends. You've yeah. reached it. It's reached its final form. But for other people, regardless of how, like, closely involved you are, that is still one step below something else. And so it can become complicated in that sense because it's such, like, a different approach to what you're doing. Like, you can be, like, entirely fulfilled by what you've got going on. And they're like, yeah, but we haven't kissed or have sex or gone on, like, a date. And I'm like, we hang out every day. What difference does it make? It's kind of a common issue in that sense. Nowadays, not so much. But I guess before everyone knew I was asexual and aromantic, that would come up as more of a thing. But I also, I think that kind of the term, which I always mispronounce because I usually write it, amatonormativity, that we have in our culture, I think the main thing I find really unfortunate about that is sometimes I witness in other people feel like, oh, well, I haven't got a relationship that has progressed to falling in love or has progressed to dating or has hit this certain milestone in their like, So they don't feel like they've accomplished enough in their lives, even if they've like achieved so many things and they have so many amazing relationships and there's loads of people that love them they're like oh but I'm single so it's very frustrating to witness and I find that quite sad that it has that kind of impact because I think that's one thing that you know I don't have to deal with as someone who is asexual and aromantic like I don't derive my sense of fulfillment and self-worth on whether or not someone wants to date me and how long they want to do that for (laughs) so that can I think that's kind of one of the ways it also kind of impacts me is just like as a witness of other people struggling with that and not realizing that that mentality and that kind of cultural expectation that we have can be quite counterproductive. And then what about you, David? Like, I know you're, you know, I, I totally resonate with what you said of, you know, some of it is age too. Like the older you get, you do see people pairing off and hitting these milestones a little more. Like, do you see it different or similar to Yasmin? I have fallen in love probably exactly once Mm. in one relationship that lasted five years. And like, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great for me. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of feeling like I was having all these emotions that got in the way of me seeing my partner for who they really were. Mm. And I was kind of frustrated with that. And in all the other relationships, like the man that I raised a child with, I never fell in love with. The woman I raised a child with, I never fell in love with. My current partner, who I deeply love, and we've been together for the past six years, we never fell in love. Like, I deeply and fully love all of these people. We never fell in love. Mm. We just met, and it worked, and we honored that it worked, and we built on that. I think for romantic people, that falling in love experience is probably a bigger part of it, but I don't think it's necessary. Mm, interesting. I have a question. Maybe I'm being confused with the way we're using love in these because I feel like that I'm not sure if we're using it in two different ways or if we're using it to refer to the same kind. Because then you say you're in love with them, but you didn't fall in love with them. So are we talking about different types of love or are we talking about the process in which that feeling developed? Oh man, welcome to Ooh. every romantic, aromantic, asexual discussion ever. <laughs> Even <laughs> though we're both aromantic, so we're going to yeah, be confused. I, hear- I love it. We're getting firsthand luck. To me, falling in love is a romantic script thing. It's like this surge of emotion that I feel early in a relationship where like Mm. someone is super shiny to me and I, I don't even know why. Loving someone, it's more like this deep gratitude. We show up in one of those lives and we have this certainty that that's a good thing and that we're going to keep doing that. And like, I have this certainty about them. I know that they have that certainty about me. We communicate that emotion to one another. There's this gratitude and certainty. And it feels much more sort of like rooted and stable. Where falling in love to me feels like sporadic and intense and a little manic. Right. It's more like honeymoon phase early love versus committed love. 
Or like a lack of control. I see falling in love, you brought up the fear and anxiety. That's what falling in love is. There's this, You're kind of like getting ahead of yourself in a way. But mm -hmm. when you're in love with someone, you're intentionally committed to them and you love them without fear. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to go in, David, because you alluded to this, a six-year relationship, and you talked up top about, you know, you also have your co-parenting relationships. You also have a hookup <laughs> that I'm very curious about. <laughs> we haven't forgotten about that one yet. Like, can you kind of just unpack the relationships in your life a little more? Yeah, I wasn't certain whether to click the hookup thing, but I personally really like to reclaim scandalous sexual language as an ace person. <laughs> so I went for it. I will find people who I click with and then want to like intensely get into whatever that click is. Maybe it's an intellectual thing. Maybe it is 100% dance floor energy. But when I say the word hooking up, I'm like, oh, did I find an intense thing I can do with someone and then dive into it? 
regardless of whether that thing is sexual. Got it. Makes sense. Got it. And to me, that intense diving in is like whatever sexual hooking up is for people, it feels like it's doing kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's your definition of hooking up. That's exactly it. I've talked in the past about my relationship with my co-parents. I want to talk about my relationship with my partner. We met at a queer consent workshop and immediately had this multi-hour conversation because... We connected really deeply around sort of healing and finding strength in some of their own history of trauma. Something about that conversation just felt really good to us. And so we kept doing it. We kept coming back. Before long, I introduced the possibility that we could be physical without being sexual. And Mm. they were a person who mostly had physical relationships that were sexual. And they were really intrigued by what it could look like to be physical without like an expectation of sexuality. Then it turned out that that was really fun for both of us. So we kept doing that. And I stayed in a long distance relationship with them. They're on the East Coast. I went back. We've stayed a really important part of one another's lives, even though our life paths are not Mm. intersecting. We're not like trying to live in the same house and do the same thing. Our relationship is not structured where that's the end goal that makes sense. But we know we're going to be part of one another's lives even as our life paths are pointing in different directions. I have so many questions. Like, I don't even know where to start, but I I apologize in advance if any of these sound ignorant. So I'm going to put that out there as someone that is more on the heteronormative side. So I guess the first question I have for you, like, do you typically date or have relationships? I won't use the word date with other ace people. It sounds like in this scenario, your partner did have sexual activities prior Is that like something you gravitate to, to other ace individuals, or does that not matter? Most of my relationships have been with aloe people, with people who identify as normatively sexual. Okay. I've had relationships with people who identify on the ace spectrum. I've had people I'm in relationships with realize that they were on the ace spectrum. The concept of monogamy doesn't really translate for me. Mm-hmm. If someone else has a sexual relationship, because I don't see sexual relationships as intrinsically more important than other ones, I don't feel threatened. So I've never sought to limit the sexuality of anyone I'm in intimacy with. Got it. I'm just looking to like have a way that we spend time together and know we're going to keep spending time together. And if they got other relationships in their life, then great. When I have an ace partner, we have this experience we share that's really powerful. Like it's a part of our history. We have a struggle against compulsory sexuality that we share, and that can be really great, but it's not a prerequisite. So non-monogamy, open relationships, like all of that is applicable, but not in a sexual way to you. It's what it sounds like to me. For me personally, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then my other ignorant question, and then I'll move on from this, is that- Then I'll take over. Yeah. (laughs) Then you will start the ignorant questions. So you mentioned they as the pronoun that you are using for your partner. Are you just open to anyone's sexual identity and gender identity? Like, how does that work for you if, you know, sexual attraction is not part of the picture? I experience a lot of forms of attraction that are not sexual attraction. Some of those forms of attraction intersect in complicated ways with gender as they intersect with things like, you know, is someone connected with their sense of purpose? I am not constrained to being attracted to a particular gender identity. And I have people I'd call partners who use all kinds of pronouns. 
Got it. And I assume too, like, since there's no sexual side between you and the partner, like if they hook up with men or they hook up with women, if like that's how they're viewing gender too, like it doesn't matter. Is that accurate or would you say it differently? Who they think about being sexually intimate with winds up informing how they approach their relationship with me. So it matters in that way. But Mm. it's not like it's a condition. It's a dynamic. So it's more about the person. It's all about the person. Yeah. Okay, UA, I'll let you take over ignorant questions now. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm curious, Yasmin, do you feel the same way in your relationships? For me, I just tend to like vibe with whoever I vibe with. I mean, I have noticed usually I vibe more with guys. Like I have a disproportionate amount of guy friends, or I did for like most of my life. Wasn't really sure why that was. Hmm. It's shifting a little bit now. But yeah, previously, like like most of my friends were guys. And if they were women, then they had to be significantly older than me. Like they weren't like my peers. But I'm really one of those people, like I just vibe with whoever I vibe with. I can never like seek out a friendship. I tried that at uni where I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go make some friends. And like, I wouldn't befriend <laughs> anyone in my class or anyone else studying around. I'd end up befriending the person that served me coffee on the way home at the place I was like passing through. And I'm like, okay, well, you weren't who I was aiming for but sure so for me it's very much just based on just like how we click like whether our like mindsets click even ahead of interests like most of my friends don't have similar interests to me either and that's fine as well I just like people that I can kind of have a good conversation with and has it come up like you mentioned you have a lot of male friends like are they one looking to date women and then two has it come up that there's like this interest of making things more sexual I've had that issue a few times and I think that was when I started to think I do have a lot of guy friends don't I and I do have a lot of straight guy friends I should probably work on that (laughs) because I might keep running into this problem that used to happen of a lot more than I kind of managed to diversify my circle because I started meeting more people through work that I met in queer spaces so it kind of became less of an issue but yes that has happened but I feel like it's kind of their fault but also kind of my fault because I never told people what my sexual orientation was I'm a pro at dodging Mm. that conversation but also they weren't very good at flirting so I couldn't tell when they were doing it so (laughs) it's also kind of on them I think if you're like infatuated with someone and they don't know for years that's kind of on you so it was a combination (laughs) in my mind I feel like there's a difference between desire and curiosity so where this question is going is, have you been curious enough to try sexual acts? Have you been curious enough to kiss someone or to even go beyond that? I mean, I haven't. I've never liked the idea of kissing. I don't like people's faces being near my face. It's like a, <laughs> it's a pet peeve of mine. Like ASMR stresses me because it like that whispering kind because it makes me feel like someone's face is close to me. I don't like I don't like that proximity because all of your senses are in your face. And so it just makes it just feels like all too all consuming, but maybe that's just me. So even if family members want to kiss me on the face, I'm like, could we just not, you know? Be in such close proximity. So for me, I've never had any inclination to kiss anybody. And no, I've never really, I've always been very like knowledgeable, again, as I said, about what I like, what I don't like. And if I don't feel inclined to do something, like I'm definitely not gonna do it. And Mm. I've never wanted to involve anyone else in my sexuality, really. And I've had opportunities to, but I've just been like, you know what? I want to, so sorry. I'm probably not gonna do that. But then if I ever was curious, like, I'd do it, like, why not? But curiosity has not struck me. (laughs) In, in 26 years. I'll jump in and say that there are versions of that curiosity, but for me, the, the context is really important, which is it's not like sexuality. What a novel idea. I wonder what that would be like. It's like, here's this thing <laughs> that has been like pushed on me for my entire life yeah. with a bunch of assumptions about me and how I work that are not true. And I'm curious if there are different ways that mm-hmm. I could relate to it. 
different ways to sort of live in this world with these things being pushed on me relate to my body, relate to my sense of desire in intimacy in ways that work for me. So the curiosity is there, but it's more like, how could I be physical with people in a context where that physicality is expected to go to sexuality? Like, I'm curious about touch. I'm curious about what touch could feel like to me. And it's hard to get to because anytime I'm talking about physicality with people, they read sexuality. But if I could find a way out of that, Mm. then I really would want to know how to be physically intimate with people in a way that wasn't necessarily about sexuality. And that form of curiosity I've explored and it's been great. There are things that I've been curious about and done that would be sexually coded. Okay. For example, like there are a few relationships where I like kissing Mm -hmm. and there are relationships from physical where I don't like kissing. I found that it sort of depends on the vibe that I have with somebody. There's curiosity there, but it's not mapping onto a sexual script. Right. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, because you're separating the two. What about sexuality with yourself, masturbation? There is research from a professor named Laurie Brodar, who studies asexuality, who's like a friend of mine and the communities, that shows that ace people are as likely to have tried masturbation as the general population, Mm. though I believe we're less likely to keep doing it. And that's because masturbation is really different than sexual attraction. It's like a thing you do with your own body. And so when we've talked about this in the community, it's something some people have tried and realized they don't like. It's a thing that some people have tried and liked. And it's pretty disconnected from a desire to be sexual with a partner. So in that way, I think it might be kind of a different experience than it would be for an allosexual person where it's associated with this thing that's really important for their intimacy. But it's still a thing that happens. It's a thing that for some people in the community, it's a way to make their body feel good. And like, that's great. So do you. <laughs> <laughs> you was like, I want the good yes. stuff. Is that important information? <laughs> it's a thing that I've tried. Okay. Okay. Yasmin? I do it often, if that answers your question. Okay. Oh, tell us more. Top 10 favorite pastimes for sure. Interesting. I do it. I have done for a long time. I did it before I knew what sex was, as do most people. And yeah, it's it's a way to kill a few minutes, I guess. (laughs) And is it like a feeling of pleasure for you then? I mean, an orgasm is, of course. (laughs) So I guess what do you think is preventing you from wanting to try that with another human being? Because it's like completely different. Okay. That's like not even similar. (laughs) (laughs) Can you walk us through that? (laughs) I mean, that would be like saying to a lesbian, like, yeah, well, you know what an orgasm's like, so go have sex with a man. It's like, well, it's Hmm. that's not the same. Like, that's completely different. The involvement of another person would not be fun at all. Interesting. It would be not the same thing. (laughs) But you are having a sexual experience when you're masturbating then. Masturbation is a sexual experience, yes. Ah, interesting. Okay, got it. I just wanted that clarification. Thanks for answering these questions, y'all. <laughs> I appreciate, appreciate it. You're like, I, I didn't can... know this was on the menu today. Yeah. Nobody asked me this question, but I don't masturbate. It doesn't pleasure me at all. There we go. That's it. Yeah. It has nothing to do with what your sexual orientation is. Some people mm-hmm. like it. Some mm-hmm. people don't. Some people rather have sex. Some people would rather not have sex. There are people that are like heterosexual and would rather like masturbate than have sex some of the time. So, you know, it varies. So fascinating. I mean, I think there's so many misconceptions out there about asexuality. So I'm really glad we're doing this conversation. (laughs) I guess like what other misperceptions are there that you think like if you could tell someone like, okay, stop asking me these questions or I wish everyone kind of knew this a little more. Like what would that be? 
I mean, I feel like the one of them is just assuming that you don't really understand about like what sexuality is and how it works. I mean, mm. of course, there are going to be some aspects that I cannot personally empathize with, but I feel like I have probably an above average knowledge <laughs> of like many different aspects of sexuality because I've kind of had to because I've been asked about it since I was mm. like 14 and I've had to do a whole depth of research. I have such interesting conversations with people that aren't asexual and dig into their experiences and then people that are asexual as well and you kind of learn how to pick up on the nuances like the idea that you know someone would masturbate and not experience sexual attraction makes perfect sense for me but the fact that that was kind of like a whoa thing shows that like you know for you guys you don't have to think about it that much whereas for some people that is something that you know we do have to understand those distinctions a lot so I've always found the kind of idea that being asexual means that you're like oblivious and you're just constantly confused and I mean some mace people probably are and some mace people actually kind of push that idea like oh I'm so confused but it gets a bit infantilizing after a while like that idea that you just have no idea about the world because of that it's not a correlation i would say the biggest misperception i run into is this idea that someone's asexuality is not valid Mm. if there's Mm something else going on with their sexuality. Mm. So if someone has a history of sexual trauma, then their asexuality is invalid. They just like are a sexual person waiting to be healed. If someone is disabled, then Mm. their asexuality isn't valid because for some reason don't think that disabled people are allowed a sexuality. And if someone's not conventionally attractive, then their asexuality isn't valid. And so I think challenging the idea that you can only be ace if there's not another explanation is one that I've come across a lot in the community. And then like one other final question I have is the spectrum of asexuality. Clearly today we talked about both of your journeys and your experiences. Do you see a wide spectrum of ace people? Like, are there some people that like to hold hands, for instance, or have sex, but don't feel that sexuality? Like what is kind of that spectrum in that you both as being activists and leaders in the space have seen. We always say spectrum. Some people say umbrella. I prefer to think of it more as like a pick and mix, which I don't know whether you guys have that in America, but you know when you go to places and they'll have like cola bottles, gummy bears, all the different types of Mm. sweets, and then Uh you pick out different amounts of the ones you want. Yes. I feel like it's kind of more like that. If cola bottles were like sexual attraction and then like the little gummy rings were like libido and like, (laughs) and then you had like, you know, another one for like romantic attraction. I feel like it's more of like a combination of that like everyone's bag is just full of like different amounts of different things it's not so much a sliding scale from like super asexual to like not very asexual it's just encompassing different elements of it for example me being someone who doesn't experience sexual attraction doesn't experience romantic attraction but then has a relatively average libido i guess it isn't directed towards anyone so i'd pick a whole bunch of libido cola bottles but none of the romantic (laughs) gummy rings everyone kind of has their own combination in the bag and that's kind of what i see throughout the community but and it's the same for every orientation. We all just slap a label on it and don't ask any further questions, but no one on this planet experiences sexuality the same way. It's just ace people are more inclined to dig into it and put names to it because we're asked to all the time. David, do you have anything to add? I've never heard that metaphor, Yasmin, and I really love it. (laughs) I could introduce mine, but I think yours is great. Is there any sort of shaming in the community if someone one day is no longer asexual, they become sexual? 
you know, every community has their inter-community conflicts. I don't think it's so much like, oh no, you're like not asexual anymore. I mean, at least I haven't witnessed many people switch or be shamed specifically for that. But there is always, I think, been a bit of contention about, as David J said before, about invalidating people's experiences on the basis of whether they are sexually active or have been sexually active or whether they have a libido or not, or whether they have experienced some kind of trauma or like all of the intersections that are there. There are some that prefer asexuality to be only assigned to people with a very specific experience and which is not really how it works but there's always been that within the community as there kind of is in all of them a sort of elitism and i'll say that a value of our community from very early on has been to accept people and that happens has been to say our value is people understanding themselves and being true to themselves and not experiencing shame when they do that. And we're told to be shamed a lot as ace people. There's a lot of shame around sexuality. So like wherever someone finds themselves, and I think many people in our community live up to this, we want to celebrate that. And it helps that there's really this spectrum, the spectra, as you talked about, Yasmin, that there's a lot of ways to be ace and people can kind of find, including some that involve degrees of sexuality and degrees of sexual attraction, and people can kind of find the mode that fits best for them and then communicate that. You know, we did in our community, we had a pride celebration and one of our moderators identifies as a gay male. He led it and he was really like wanted to have an intersection of all parts of the rainbow. So he actually had someone join that was ace and we thought it was really great because it's not typically what you think of with LGBTQ+. What are your thoughts about the ace community being part of the larger LGBTQ plus community. I mean, for me, I've been attending Pride since I was like 14, met asexual people for the first time at Pride, saw an asexual flag for the first time at Pride. And most of my work nowadays ends up being within that community. It's very much my scene. All the awards I've won are like queer awards. That's kind of the realm that I work in. And that's the community that I spend the most time in. So I've never felt any personal contention with that, but I am aware that there is a discourse about ace inclusion in those spaces, and it is something that is still lacking in some ways. I think in the UK, we might be a bit better at it than in the US or so I've heard, just based on like comparisons between like the scenes and like our media and stuff. But it's something I feel like that discourse is is a bit more popular like online than it is like in real life. Because, like, I never really have people say anything to my mm-hmm. face, but I will get stuff online about being in queer spaces. Thank you both for this conversation. It was so insightful. I mean, especially, like, people that are not in the community. I think for anyone that's listening, whether you're figuring things out on your own or have a friend that identifies as asexual, I think for me, the biggest takeaway I had was still, like, forge ahead on your own path. What you all said about just, you know, saying like kind of fuck it to society and that this doesn't intercept with how I live my life is so important and essential. So I think that's my biggest takeaway. And then also relationships are so much more than the sexual side of it, whether that's, you know, the various types of relationships we have or even having more of a primary partner or someone at that deeper intentional level, but looking into how do I build on the parts of a relationship that are important to me? Yeah, I love that. I think my biggest takeaway is stepping back and just asking, do I like this? Am I Mm. happy doing this? Am I doing this 
because everybody else is doing it. You know, I feel like growing up in my 20s, I never questioned my sexuality. I was just like, oh, I'm surrounded by hetero people and they're all having sex. This is probably (laughs) just a norm. But we really need to challenge and question the norm sometimes because if it's not serving us, why are we doing it? Right. This is just a conversation that goes beyond sexuality. It goes beyond just relationships too. It's like identity Mm -hmm. in general and how we fit into the society is always a good conversation up for debate, right? (laughs) So thank you again for this conversation. Thank you again for helping us understand the ACE community better. And we hope to give even more visibility to the community through this podcast because we know there are people who are listening to this podcast who can really benefit from this conversation. So thank you again for that. On that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay dateable! The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.